0: Welcome everyone. I'm Holly Bott, and this is From Surviving to Living, the podcast where raw stories of transformation are told. This is not just a podcast. It's the power of change. God is interested in you. My story is not fiction. I'm a woman, a felon, sex offender. I did hard time. I am so awed by Jesus, I will risk my reputation and talk about it. He transformed me. He will do that for you. I trust him. I hope you do too. Are you hurting? Are you sick of just surviving? I was too. How does one really, truly live? God causes transformation. It is possible for everyone. Thank God. I never saw it coming. Let me tell you how it happens. Get ready for your adventure of faith and life beyond bars. This is From Surviving to Living. I had believed I was a good person, but I sought to improve. Can you relate? I struggled with serious depression, making stability and holding a job challenging. I felt the weight of other people's expectations. In prison, I tried adjusting to a new normal. But I would learn entering prison wasn't rock bottom. Life can get even worse. What does life look like before transformation? And how can change happen for you? This is orientation, change, shock and awe, and suicide watch. mentioned before that I didn't realize I needed to change. What do I mean? I believed myself to be a good person, or at least a person who understood what good is, even if I couldn't do it consistently. If I could tell you what right is, doesn't that make me right? Do you think of yourself as a good person? If you know what's right, then are you right, even if you don't do the right thing? I had always been interested, though, in improving myself in my life. I didn't need to change my beliefs. I wanted the skills to perform well. One of my biggest struggles began in my teen years. I suffered from serious depression. I was disinterested in things that gave other people joy. I was easily irritated. In a 2016 Psychology Today article, Dr. Enrique does an excellent job of explaining this mystery. He describes depression as a defensive strategy. If one sees little return on their behavioral or emotional investment, eventually, they'll lack the desire to expend that effort. In short, why do things that don't work? Medication helped me, but it wasn't a cure. I agonized about my failure to do things I saw people do every day. I was just barely surviving, even with meds. Eventually, I was prescribed extremely high doses of antipsychotics, antidepressants, and mood stabilizers. I believed depression said ugly things about me and made me unlikable. I worked hard to rid myself of symptoms and hide them. Fake it until you make it was a motto I lived by. Does this sound familiar? You are not alone, and there is hope. My second day in prison, I was placed in an orientation class, and we were called R and O's. One purpose of the class is to teach the rules and consequences of breaking the rules. Consequences like LOPs, loss of privileges, DLOPs, even worse, SAGTIME and UI, which is unemployment. I had just become a guest of ACRONYM CITY. Every inmate wears an OID badge. OID numbers are assigned, the first time one is ever incarcerated, and it never changes, even if you leave prison and come back for another crime. OID numbers tell a story. They tell you who's new, who's not, and who's back. A few days after we started orientation, a new r and arrived named Ashley. Curiously, her OID was lower than mine, telling me she had been at prison longer than me, maybe a week or so. Ashley looked to be about 20, with long, light brown hair and sticks for arms and legs. Her skin was an olive color, nearly matching her hair. Most notably, she resembled my youngest son, Tim. It comforted me. I wondered why she was just now arriving at orientation. Class lasted all day and ended at 3 p.m. Our evenings and weekends were our own. In our free time, I longed to vanish to my room or call my children. I would make my get- getaway from the day room, and behind me, women would slap themselves into chairs and wonder what to do with the rest of their day. I often heard Ashley calling, Does anyone want to play a game? The usual answer was, No! No! Ashley's outstretched pleading arms would droop and then hugging herself, Ashley's expression would change to a sorry and lonely one. This too reminded me of my youngest son, Tim. He often begged his older brothers to play with him. I couldn't take it, it was too pitiful. I wanted to hide in my room, overwhelmed, but this was too much. After our third day of class, I remained in the day room to socialize and Ashley once again hopefully asked if anyone would like to play a game. She looked at each of us, in turn, waiting. Slowly, her optimism faded from excitement to disappointment. I really didn't feel like playing a game. As she looked at each one of us, she read the answer in our averted eyes. and our silence, her face began to fall. I took a deep breath. I'll play with you. What do you want to play? surprise widened her eyes before they crinkled she smiled pulled her arms wide and leaned forward towards the table that's great i don't care what we play if it passes the time this was the beginning of our friendship as the days passed she explained the mystery of her lower oid number and the late arrival at orientation When she'd arrived at prison, she refused to speak to anyone at all for days, so she was placed on suicide watch until she would talk. I later learned this is common. The trauma of arriving at prison can show up in many ways. In class, my mind wandered. In the evenings, I called my kids. I still felt present in their lives, as if this was a temporary arrangement. I would eagerly call to assure myself they were behaving. Mom! Luke would bellyache on the phone. Timmy is pinching Vivian. Screaming and arguing could be heard in the background. Put your brother on the phone, I'd instruct. A clatter of the phone would follow, accompanied by stomping feet and the echo of Luke's muffled voice somewhere nearby. Mom wants to talk to you, Tim! Another clatter as the phone exchanged hands, and I heard Timmy say, Hi, Mom! with a hangdog note. Vivi continued to scream somewhere in the house. Tim, have you been pinching your sister? I asked. I told them both to go to their rooms for a well-deserved break from each other. Then Tommy, my 10-year-old, picked up the phone. His little boy voice shook with loneliness and frustration as he described problems I couldn't solve so easily. Problems at school, problems with friends. I felt near tears, my heart heavy. Trying to soothe them, I choked out, I'm still here, Tommy! It's not like I died! In stunned silence, we both listened to the words echo. It felt like I had just died. Tommy sobbed. Later, I spoke with Vivi. I had a plan for our talk, and so did she. They were not the same. She had visited me when I was in county jail, but then I'd been released on bail. She thought those three months were my punishment. Why was I back in jail? That's what she wanted to talk about. I, on the other hand, wished to apologize for about a hundred different things. Once on the phone, I wasted no time apologizing. I started with being in prison in her little girl, turned stern lecturer voice. She scolded, yes, mommy, but you keep doing it. I barked out a startled laugh, and then I better explain the situation. Sooth, Vivi was happy to talk about her day and learn more about mine. I told her I was going outside with friends to play after I finished our phone call. Once again, her voice changed. Even at such an early age, she must have found this an unlikely prison activity. She challenged me, no, you're not i insisted i was she responded again in her best grown-up threatening voice if you're going to continue to lie to me i'm going to end this call once again i burst into shocked delighted laughter alone in my room later i would revisit my past with longing raising five children can be chaotic and busy challenging. From the quiet solitude of prison, however, ordinary moments from my past took on a poignancy never felt before. What I wouldn't give now for five minutes of my past life at the dinner table on an ordinary day. I ached with loss. After orientation, I was assigned a job and moved out of broker. On Thursday morning, I heard my name called over the PA. Aho, Staff desk. Aho staff desk. Over the last two weeks, I had become familiar with that summons. Over the next eight years, I would hear it thousands and thousands of times. Climbing out of my bunk, I stepped out of my room. Before closing the door, I tapped my pants pocket and the front of my shirt. Having confirmed my keys were in my pocket and my badge was on my shirt, I shut the door and headed to the guard desk. This ritual, too, is one I would repeat, Thousands, no, millions of times over the next eight years, to forget either led to punishment. At the guard desk, a female guard addressed me, Miss A-Ho, pronouncing my name wrong. The male guard sitting next to her must have known. He erupted into smiles when she said it. Then he turned to me and said, Miss Aho," I believe she just called you an A-Ho. Turning, he paused to watch the other guard's reaction. She was flushing a deep red. Reeling back, she struggled to compose herself. The other guard snickered. I waited, uncertain. Finally able to speak, she declared, I've now forgotten why I called you here. Go to your room until I can recall. The other guard roared with laughter. Soon, I was summoned again. I was being moved to Tubman. I wedged my meager belongings into two gray bins. I carefully signed out of broker. Every building at Shakopee has a sign-in book. Like the badge and keys ritual, signing in and out of these books at every building is mandatory and punishable if not done. Depositing my bins on a wheeled cart, I rolled it down the walkway and across the property to Tubman. Yanking my card up to the staff desk at Tubman, a white-haired guard rose to meet me. His name badge read, Officer Lick. In a gruff voice, he grilled, ever been to SEG? Prison SEG is a special housing unit separate from the rest of the population. Most inmates go there for discipline. Startled, I peered up in surprise. No, 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 I stammered. Wanna go? Shocked again. I flung back another, no, 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 uncertain. Satisfied, Mr. Lick turned to my paperwork and slid me new keys. In the months and years ahead, I would come to appreciate Officer Lick, but just then, I saw him as the enemy. I was surprised when I opened the door to my new room and found Sarah, my friend from my RNO class. I noticed Sarah's OID tag was a bright, cheerful shade of red. Hey, I remarked suddenly jealous her flare of color was a bright spot in our gray world how'd you get that i demanded she smiled ruefully understanding my need for girlish sparkle i forgot to sign in she told me sergeant lobs gave me an lop she explained her red tag signified the change in status well i determined then to never ever ever get in trouble for the slightest thing happily gabbing like old friends we fell to talking half the night Monday after lunch, I headed to work. I hated it. My job was packaging Mylar balloons and it reminded me of my family, keeping my grief raw and constant. The balloons were for holidays and birthdays or sported kids' movie characters. I'd fold the balloons and cry. I was overwhelmed and missed days. Just one week after moving in with Sarah, she was moved elsewhere. We said our goodbyes and I received a new roommate. One day later, I said goodbye to her and I was placed in a bigger room at the entrance to a wing. A few days later, I was delighted when Ashley became our newest roommate. I wanted to find creative ways to spend time with my children and avoid conflict with other women over so much phone use. One solution was story reading before my children went to school. Going to the library, I considered each of my children's interests. Sliding a book off the shelf, I read the back. It was a mystery novel. I imagined my son Luke might enjoy this book and decided it was a keeper. I looked forward to calling my children in the morning. Bright and early the next day, we began. The hallway was dark. I tried to speak softly on the phone. After 15 minutes with each child, I would call back and read another book to the next child. One day, a woman confessed. She was sad to be moving out of the hall. She awoke every morning to the sound of my reading and was engrossed in our books. She would miss it. Life settled into a rhythm. I had adjusted best I could, and I felt like, maybe I can do this. A month passed, and then two. But I was about to have my new normal, shattered. Shakopee offered programs to its incarcerated women, and these programs ranged from educational opportunities to early release. But I was about to have an unwelcome surprise. As a sex offender, I didn't qualify for any program. Also, I couldn't have contact visits with my own children at first. I was completely surprised, totally unprepared. For some reason, my caseworker was surprised that I was surprised. I cried and cried in her office. I was angry and in denial like this just couldn't be true. This also surprised my caseworker. My caseworker explained there was an appeal process I could take and steps I could do to help me win those appeals. One of the steps was to take parenting classes. My current job interfered with taking these classes so I would need a new job and I was eager to do that. Soon, a clerking position was advertised in Shakopee's memo of the day. I applied, was interviewed, and was hired. I immediately signed up for the class. Shakopee's visiting room is kid-friendly. Moms play with their kids, read them books, and color with them. The walls are decorated with their works of art. Windows with mesh are along one wall, and each window faces a small room. These windows and rooms were for the no-contact visits. Tall chairs were for the visitors. My children found it fun to sit so much higher than everyone else. Vivi took the window as a personal finger painting challenge, not leaving an inch of it unsmudged. As she talked, she swirled her hands over the glass. Her eyebrows pursed in concentration, looking for clean spots she might have missed. In June, I was assigned to another room. Another roommate. I was about to meet Jana. Sergeant Lobs, the officer in charge of Tubman, believed Jana to be a disciplined problem, and I was about to become guilty by association. Jana was in her early thirties, with medium brown hair and a nervous laugh that rarely met her eyes. Her body was filled with anxious energy, pacing, her steps eating up the tile, she'd stomp away her thoughts until released from her room to perform this ritual in the day room or courtyard. Sergeant Lobs adored quiet solitude. He hated agitation. Jana was a pebble in his shoe. I saw Jana as an energetic new friend, friendly and inclusive. I sat with her and her friends in the day room, oblivious that Sergeant Lobs had a fervent love for cathedral quiet. I laughed like I was on the show, hee-haw. Sergeant Lobs solved this problem by LOPing us all TO DEATH. Now, I was rarely without the red LOP tag. Grief would find a new way to hit home in mid-August. I called my oldest son, Noel. He gave me terrible news. My grandma had passed away. This was a shock and this news didn't feel real at all. It's difficult to accept traumatic news when there's no real closure. I would forget that I couldn't call her and only remember when I reached the phone. By September, I'd received so many LOPs, I was headed for a more serious form of discipline. I was sent to see the head of discipline. How do you wish to explain all of these LOPs? She demanded. I don't deserve half of them, I said. Sergeant Lobbs hates my roommate. The discipline lady didn't seem to care why don't you go to your room sooner why are you in the day room until the last minute she asked stressed i burst into tears i accused you're mean this place is mean i've been grounded for months my grandma died i don't understand it you're not helpful at all i blew my nose and sank into the chair have you ever felt like this have you ever felt like you were treated unfairly. How did you respond? How did it feel? Looking panicked, the disciplined lady braced her hands on the desk and asked me, would you like me to call the chaplain? No. I cried. I collected myself and left her office. I didn't know it, but life was going to get worse. In October, my husband took our four younger children and moved out of Minnesota. 3,000 miles away to Washington State. I was placed on suicide watch. Can you relate to a need for personal change? Are you struggling to succeed? Have you experienced depression or other mental health challenges? Are you overwhelmed, burnt out, run down, and looking for real help? The Bible says, But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him, shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. Isaiah 41.1 One of my favorite Bible verses is Philippians 2.13, which says, not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while effectively at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. And here God was telling me he's going to do it. He can do it. He has all of that. He has that for you today. The Bible says, Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking, receives. And he who keeps on seeking, finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 finally Isaiah 60 verse 1 says arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you rise to a new life Jesus I pray for the person listening to this right now I pray you meet their need in this very moment I pray that they will keep on asking and that you will renew their strength and that they will be transformed in your image. Amen. Look for more episodes that inspire at hollybot.me. Until next time, remember, your story is never over. God's grace is always waiting to rewrite it. This is From Surviving to Living.